Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growley Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growley Leather. So visit GrowleyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors. This is the Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Welcome to the Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and I'm joined as always by my good pal, Brian Gill. And uh, we, man, we are fired up today to have Sean Dietrich um, join us today. He's a columnist, a songwriter, a novelist, and a podcast host known for commentary on life in the American South. He's uh, His writings, is they have appeared all over the place in publications from Newsweek, Southern Living, the Birmingham News, the Mobile Press Register, and he's authored 13 books, or is it 14 now? Because we're going to talk about a new book. I believe it, this might be the 14th. You're right. All right. There we go. Also, man, you're the creator of uh, Shaun of the South podcast. Born in Kansas City, Missouri, but landed in Florida for a while, but close enough to be an Alabamian. And now you're, I think you're a bona fide living in Alabama, if that's right. And uh, so we're glad to have you. Married for 19 years to your sweet wife, Jamie, and uh, proud parents of a bloodhound. Is that is that right? Is it a bloodhound? Did I see that correctly? Yep. Yeah, she's a, she's a black and tan bloodhound, but she looks like a like a big red bloodhound now because the black has just kind of been grown out. So there you go. Well, what's her, what's her name? Oh, that's Thelma Lou. Thelma Lou, the bloodhound. Thelma Lou. Thelma Lou. Like Barney, Thelma. like, Thelma. Yeah, Barney and like uh, Andy Griffith show. There we go. Thelma Lou. Thelma. Yeah, I, I think, love it. I think we left off on the intro, the, the bio that, you know, the Andy Griffith enthusiast. I mean, you're, you're, oh, <laughs> yeah. That's right. oh, yeah. Yeah. Big, big Andy Griffith fan. Actually, before I named her Thelma Lou, I, was invited to go up to to Mount Airy to in, interview the original Thelma Lou before she died, wow. which was she was in her nineties. It was extraordinary. She kissed me on the cheek when she saw me, and I about you know I didn't wash my cheek for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Welcome, welcome to the podcast, man. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me, uh, Sean. Uh, you know we have a we have an Alabama connection, um, Bruton, Alabama. Our, our paths have not crossed, but I think that you have a connection there. I have a connection. I was, I, I tell people that I grew up there, but I was not actually born there. Whenever I was born, my parents were living there, but the hospital didn't deliver babies. So we had to go across the state line into Florida to be delivered. And Depends, were you born in Pensacola? Uh, Milton. Milton, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I live, we lived there for four years. My mom and my sister still live there. And, um, you know, Bruton's a special place for us. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife is from Bruton. And uh, when I met her, we've spent most of our time in Bruton. Mm-hmm. So it became like a second home and her all her people from Bruton. That's cool. That's cool. I think I know your sister. Is that right? Is yeah. your sister? Yeah. Brandy? You, Brandy. That's right. Yeah. You and uh, she and Neil, uh, I think she, they've run in a few circles with you guys at, at some point. So, yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah. They were. Small uh, world. They were instrumental in trying to help me connect to, to Jamie to get you on our calendar. And, and so we we're, we're Bruton's there. a weird place wherever I go in, I can be anywhere in the United States. It doesn't matter. I will meet somebody from Bruton, Alabama. Yeah, it is. The, it is. The, and Jamie has been overseas before. Uh, she, she'd been in London, England, Canada, and she will meet people 
from Bruton, Alabama. It is it is the strangest phenomenon. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, you either know somebody or are you you're related to them, and they're from they're from where in Alabama? That's right. It's probably Bruton. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that may be just like a general Alabama Alabama sort of yeah. experience. I grew up, Sean, over in Monroeville. So okay, you go yeah, down, go down 84 from from Bruton there, and grew up in Monroeville, Alabama, and Monroe was, County. That's right. I was just out in Temple, Texas, you know, Central Texas, leading worship for a church out there. A buddy of mine's a pastor, and this couple comes up to me. It's like I heard you're from Alabama, and I said, "Yes, ma'am." Where did you? and uh, she said, "Where did you grow up?" I said, "I grew up just outside of Monroeville, Alabama." And she said, "Well, my husband's from South Monroe County." Said, wow, <laughs> you can't. You, you can't, can't make, make that this up. stuff up, man. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter where you are, too, in Alabama, which I love. You can go to the Pig. You can go into any grocery store. Everybody in the aisles, if they kind of know each other, they're going to kind of try to figure out how they're related somehow. Yep. They're going to the, – who do we know the same people? And who? And it'll take forever, but you'll eventually figure it out. That, that is so true. Um, man, we, one of the things that you, know, you are known for uh, among many is your writing. And, uh, man, I love your style. I love your voice of uh, the way that you're, you approach storytelling. Um, we heard that one of your first stories that you wrote came after a fishing trip. Um, <laughs> what was it Correct. about that experience that made you want to write it down? Well, uh, you know, in our g- generation – uh, I'm guessing we're all pretty much the same generation because we all have enough. I'm getting a little gray in my, you know, beard. And, well, I got these uh, racing stripes on the side. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it seems like uh, social media kind of, and I don't. This I, this sounds negative. I don't mean it to sound negative, but social media can kind of be a uh, self-aggrandizing, congratulatory thing where everybody just kind of. You know, they show you pictures of their life that they, they want you to see. And uh, I love to attempt to be the opposite of that. I love to just kind of, you know, be the <laughs> self-defacing, maybe even a little bit self-effacing for sure. And so I, anyway, that experience was such a, a rough experience fishing where I had a little problem while I was fishing related to excess fiber consumption oh, no. <laughs> uh, that uh, I figured I'd write about it and uh, you know make myself the butt of a joke and it was uh, it did it was very uh, well received and uh, that kind of began the journey uh, another time that I wrote that, that really kind of pressed me forward in the early days was uh, I had walked into it was either it was either the pig or it was the Winn Dixie, and uh, I watched a butcher give away meat that was going to be expiring the next day, but hadn't expired yet, to a handful of young Mexican men who were they'd just gotten off the job site and they were dirty and they couldn't afford much, and he gave them this huge stack of meat, and it was mm-hmm. really. They they tried to say no, we we can't take this. He said no, you take you have to take it because tomorrow it expires. Anyway, I wrote about that, and uh, next thing I know, I'm you know this is what I'm doing with my life. So. I love it. For you know, people we're really fortunate. We're so fortunate, really, that people from all over the place listen to this podcast. For those of you that are not from the South, Sean, when he says the pig. Is talking about oh. a grocery store. <laughs> it's called yes, Piggly, Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. I knew what you were talking about, brother. Oh, I knew God, it too. Lee, I'm, but but I'm many, sorry. I, I was like, I bet there's some people that are like from Washington State, like, what's he talking about the pig? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, I got to clarify. That. I love it. No, I love. I was it. in the, I was in traffic today, actually riding down the road, and saw a Piggly Wiggly truck. And I didn't know that they actually called themselves the pig too. It was all over the side. It said, come to the pig. I thought, wow, it's they just embraced it. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> oh, that's great. So now where, go ahead, Brad. where, where did this clearly a uh, love, a clear love for story for you? Where did that come from? I don't know. You know, that's a good question. I, you know, I grew up in church obviously. And, and, uh, I've starved to death in church many times when the preacher (laughs) 
gets going on his rabbit trails that go for you know into the far recesses of you know known thought and we have no idea what he's talking about but every now and then and we had a terrible preacher growing up he was awful i mean he preached his, he had two really good sermons and he preached one the day he came to us and the other one the day he left <laughs> and uh he was just miserable but every now and then we would have a visitor visiting guest preacher and he was old and he'd come in and he didn't even preach just told stories Mm-hmm. And he had everybody. He had everybody with him. I, we didn't know where the story was going. We didn't know. And I remember just being a kid, and I, it was the only time I didn't have a problem falling asleep in church or, you know, just mm-hmm. not paying attention. Now, that maybe is one place where I learned sure. to like stories. But another place was uh, the front porch. Old men always told stories. Mm-hmm. It was something that, that only it seemed like as a child, only old men could do because the younger men either didn't have the experience or the knowledge to uh, mm. to follow in that footstep and so as men would age it was fun to watch them embrace their own nostalgia and tell some stories and that's good now the 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 art i think is maybe disappearing now mm. uh, i think some of the our generation is kind of it's, they're not as apt to sit on a porch and tell stories like they used to. There's a little more phone presence, that mm-hmm. iPhone presence that kills that maybe. But, uh, but I I'm think hoping at, at the heart of what we're, what we're trying to do um, really revolves around that, Sean. I mean, yeah. we, we sometimes we jokingly call this podcast a digital campfire where we get to tell some stories, right? Mm-hmm. And I so, love it. And so our goal is to see stories written down, stories told, and hopefully we'll leave a wealth of stories for our kids to go back and listen through the catalog of us talking to oh, yeah. you know, guys like you, you know, yeah. to hear stories. And well, hear everybody's, experiences. everybody's got one. And uh, yeah. the best stories are the, are the, the stories from your worst days. Mm. And the funniest stories are from your worst experiences. And we used to share those uh communitively as a I'm not sure if communitively is a word but I didn't want to say communicably because that sounds too much like a disease <laughs> but uh, we used to share those you'd watch you'd watch old men talk and they they, they, they had worked their stories out you know they yeah. had they had honed them down because they told them enough at enough feed stores and hardware stores to get to the punchline quicker and mm. to throw away the stuff that doesn't matter and they were good Yep. You listen to the story and you knew it was going to be a good story. They had worked on it. And there are a few, I have a few friends still, they're much older than me. Uh, and I, when they do that and they get around groups of people, you know, someone will point to them and say, tell that story. And someone will get into that mode. And it's, it's wonderful. It and I hope, I hope, I hope that lasts forever. Anyway, I'm glad to be among us if to be considered a storyteller. I'm not sure I'm any good at it, but I like it. Yeah. Oh man, absolutely. I mean, and that's you know this uh, this podcast episode will air after one of your latest stories will be published in a book form. You know, so it's going to yeah. be uh, October twelfth is the day that this one will will air, and eleventh yeah, so, is whenever you're you're launching your latest right. book. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. So you're, you'll be the first. Well, <laughs> we um, the, the timing just worked out with that, but man. I haven't had a chance to read it. Your your um, publicist sent me a copy of it, and I am the world's slowest reader. And so I'll get to it, but I, what I've read of it, I read the first chapter and the introduction, and my goodness, I'm hooked. I cannot wait to see, hear this story. Well, and so I, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what happens? Um, yeah, uh, it's just, a, it's a, uh, it happened during the pandemic, my wife and I. You know, work slowed way, way down. We were we were on the road eighty percent of the year mm-hmm. usually, wow. and wow. then all of a sudden, nothing. Yeah. I mean, we were, yeah. we had visited like, you know, thirty nine states I think in one year, and we were just tired and burnt, probably more burnt than we realized. And so then it shuts down, and I was on my last nonfiction book tour during the shutdown, and as we were leaving the city that we were in, I think it might have been Huntsville. Uh, there were these long lines standing outside Walmart, people waiting to get Charmin. And it was just 
the world just changed. And uh, so here I am landlocked at home. Jamie comes up with this idea to ride 350 miles on bikes. And I said, do what? <laughs> That's a long <laughs> way. You're going to run yeah, that by me one more time. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't quite on board. And uh, so that the book is about that. It's about our trip. It's about the days leading up to the trip. And and uh, and it turned out to be an incredibly transformative trip for me. Uh, very transformative, actually. We, but I, I'm not an athlete. I'm nothing even close to an athlete. I'm more of a little Debbie guy. <laughs> And the idea of me being out in nature like this uh, was, you know, you know, kicking my own tail was was novel. And uh, anyway, after it was done, my wife and I we spend all the time outside. Now we hike all the time. We hike we hike at least twice a week. And and I mean, just this morning I was on Mount Chiaha and up uh, near Talladega. Uh, the tallest point in Alabama, hiking. I, I I just can't get enough of it now. Something something happened. We my wife and I had a had a transformation. I guess you could say. I know uh, as I as I was reading about the writing of that and the story and the they were gracious to send us the press kit. Part of that was uh, was some story about about her about your wife having the potential for cancer. Yeah, yeah. When we what, first got what, married. What was that like when you got that kind of a news or potential? When we first, we were newlyweds still. My wife had a a scare and uh, it was a long drawn out scare. It wasn't, you know, just a couple of weeks or anything. You know, they really didn't know and they kept doing tests and it just, I mean, it was awful. It was in, mm-hmm. and, and I feel bad telling you it was awful because doing what I do I've met a lot of people and I come in contact with a lot of people who have had way worse experiences whereas it turned out not to be cancer in my wife thank God Uh, so I feel silly saying that it was so bad but there is something that I've heard from all cancer patients who have suffered on any stage is that the hardest part is the part where you wait because you don't know something hmm. whether whether you have stage four or you it's benign it's that waiting it's that not knowing that not being able to sleep that absolute perpetual anxiety so hmm. uh, we experienced that and that's that was part of the catalyst for this trip a long long time ago we just never followed through on it until many years later How about that yeah thank you for sharing that yeah no it's uh i mean and I had I had a scare this this year, me. Oh, and wow. I went to the doctor and and uh, I was in a holding period for mm, for a little while and it was scary. And uh, they did all sorts of tests on me and they could never tell you anything. And uh, I was at a Braves game. We were walking around Truist Park and I had just gotten a an adult beverage uh, that was not manufactured by Coca Cola. And uh, <laughs> I had just cracked open my $36 Coors Light when I get the phone call from the doctor that says, you're you're okay. You're in the clear. Wow. Uh, the test came back negative, and it was like, it was one of the greater nights of, of my existence. Uh, the Braves lost, but. $200 okay. later. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> But but the Braves now, as I say this, are are down one game to uh, almost they're below the Mets. If they you know we have a chance at being the National League champions, there you go. Again, oh, yeah. so I'm hoping for that. Man, um, man, that's that's one of those those things where you you know reflection plays such a big part in it, and it, you know even if it's not a a, a a diagnosis, even if it's not something that alters your life drastically it helps to put things in perspective and oh man it yes i mean both hers and mine and and really this last one for me really was transformative i mean maybe one of the most 
I mean, I've used that word transformative a lot on this podcast already. You guys are like miracle workers. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever used that word more than once or twice in my life. Oh, the outdoors, <laughs> outdoors by Barbara Walters here. <laughs> <laughs> I felt, uh, I felt when that was done that I, and it's trite. This is so cliche to say, but it was the carpe diem thing. I mm. mean, have an extra piece of pie if you want it. Mm. If you feel like skipping out on work today and doing something that's a little more soul gratifying, do it, do it because this could be the day. This could be the last day. Uh, if you are at a restaurant and you have a designated driver, have that extra beer. I mean, you don't have to drink all the time, but it live, you know, that's mm. the, the thought that's been going through my head. Don't mm. just eat one piece of pizza, eat four or five. You'll pay for it. Yes, but do it. If you want to do it right now, irresponsibly, and enjoy your life, um, mm. it really it did uh, alter my perception a little bit in a good way. I'm sure I'll go back to being, you know, self deluded, jaded, selfish pig later. But right now, I'm feeling a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> so this so this new book is called "You Are My Sunshine: A Story of Love, Promises, and a Really Long Bike Ride." Give us a, 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 a an idea of where that that title came from. Well, you are my sunshine is a song everybody loves, and I find it interesting. This is one of the only songs that is sung to you. Mm. It's never, you know, if you're singing something with with friends or not, not like everybody gets together and sings. But let's say you're in a band or something, you're singing out and about you're singing in public if you're singing uh, at home and you're humming a melody the andy griffith theme you know you're not singing that to anybody but when you sing you are my sunshine it's usually sung by a parental figure or some maternal figure to a child figure and i think that's maybe how at the least that's how i heard it uh, my mother my aunt they would sing this to me mm. and it was uh, always code for i love you and uh, so uh, when my mother-in-law was passing and I, I the book had been written at this point uh, and yet we we had the title I think but it wasn't solid solidified in our minds uh, my mother-in-law was dying she was on her deathbed and my my mother-in-law either asked if I'd come and play some music for her at her bedside mm -hmm. and she had hours left uh, we didn't know that at the time but uh, so I went and I showed up with a guitar and I felt really ridiculous playing music for for someone who's passing. And uh, I, I mean, I would feel ridiculous in a room playing for anybody anyway. It's different when you're in a live setting, but when you're just sitting around and playing, you know, you feel like an idiot, like, like you're trying to get everybody to look at you. So I felt kind of a little bit timid and I was singing hymns mostly to her uh, in the garden uh, leaning on the everlasting arms. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. Uh, old rugged cross, softly and tenderly. And then we were singing some songs that she liked from her early days, like Hank, Hank Williams Sr. And, and then I sang You Are My Sunshine. And mm -hmm. she just, you know, she changed her. And then I was singing it to my wife too and so then everybody's we're all crying you know we're all just wailing <laughs> and uh yeah. and then she passed not long after that and yeah. uh then i i think i realized that i wanted to name that book this for certain because you know this was a book about my wife and she is well my son i love it so there it is that's a, uh, it's got a lot of meaning behind that. You know, it's got a lot of meaning. You know, there's the, for people who are writers, there's a lot of thought, a lot of, um, strategy, not str just strategy, but a lot of, um, intentionality that goes behind the titles. And, and that one has a new type, a new outlook now that yeah. we kind of know the better like story of it. I like to uh, I like books that have the names of songs. Uh, three of my books are named after songs. Uh, Stars of Alabama was mm -hmm. after Stars Fell in Alabama. One one of my favorite tunes too. Actually written by a guy 
in Savannah, of all things. And uh, anyway, then I like uh, my second or my autobiography-ish memoir, whatever you call it, uh, was Will the Circle Being Broken, mm -hmm. which is a quintessential funeral song. Um, mm -hmm. And then this, You Are My Sunshine, you know, maybe I'll name a book uh, All Around the Watchtower or something, like a <laughs> Jimi Hendrix standard, Freebird. Uh, <laughs> nice. So uh, music is is obviously a, also a big part of your life, and um, you know, Brad is a, is a musician. You guys are y'all have a, a lot in common with being able to play the guitar. I can't play the radio, and uh, it's but uh, and that's it, it. Seems to be something that's also a form of storytelling. Mm, yeah, for sure. I would agree. I would say it is. Uh, some of the best writers I know are musical. They have musical ears. They can hear the. Uh, the phrasing of a good line and there is a something in our English language recognizes good phrasing and mediocre phrasing and there's something about the rhythm of the syllables of a line that I found that musicians they, they usually make decent writers but I happen to be the exception to that <laughs> <laughs> but I I play, my first instrument was the piano when I was a kid and the accordion those are my two those are my first instruments and i still play the accordion live and i still play the piano live occasionally but no one really connects with the piano i learned how to play the guitar when i was nine and i never really improved but i've been <laughs> playing it since <laughs> and uh one day i hope i'm gonna get good at it but you know i'm getting a little long in the tooth so i'm <laughs> still waiting i do uh, i do really appreciate your your style of play it's not um i'm you know, by trade, I'm a worship leader. I'm a worship pastor. Well, I've led worship for my church for a long time. Now my roles at church are changing um, as a pastor. But for a long time, I've been a worship leader. So I'm more of a strummer than a finger picker. Um, yeah. But certainly appreciate, uh, man, that style of play is, I, I never get tired of listening to it. Even this morning, I listened to, you know, a whole bunch of um, your YouTube. I, I guess it's your trailer. Oh. Yeah, um, yeah your camper series where you're sitting out in front of your camper and just listening to all those and just really set the mood for the day for me and really enjoyed that. What, Thank uh, you. what shaped, what shaped that, that, that approach to guitar for you? Oh, uh, definitely, uh, Merle, Merle Travis, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, Ted Atkins and all the great, the great finger pickers. And, and my uncle taught me how to play the guitar. He, well, he's was one of the initial, teachers and uh, this was the way you play the guitar in his generation the plectrum right. was was still kind of a new invention later called the pick or whatever and uh, right. so that was kind of a that was kind of a fancy thing you played with your hands and you played alternating bass with your thumb yeah and i i liked it because it sounded like a one-man band you know you had you you didn't you had the rhythm there and you had a different melody line kind of moving and then you when you sang with that you know it's it was a lot going on i, I loved yeah. it and it took me forever to learn how to do it it just did not come natural to me and i had to i just i really had to, <laughs> i wasn't a virtuoso i'm not a virtuoso at anything i had to really work to get it and yeah. uh, now I, that's how i hear every song and so i'm afraid i've become a one-trick pony because you know that's pretty much well, what i do all the time it's a good trick brother <laughs> well thank you it's a good trick <laughs> thank you so this bike uh, go ahead go ahead yeah go ahead no that's it i don't even remember what i was gonna say now well i'm sorry to cut you off i was just gonna say did you take your guitar with you on your bike ride no i did not uh that would have been a disaster that would have been a disaster because i i rode a this this trail with with a trike yeah. So is that really a recumbent? Is that like a recumbent yep. bike? Yes, it's recumbent. It's basically a, a giant toy. Is all it is. Uh, it's you know this is what children ride. It's just bigger. My son, and, uh, my son's seven years old, and when we were on the trail. He calls it a relaxed bike. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, that's, that's a great way to describe it. It is. I mean, uh, the only difference is when I got out there on the trail, I didn't see anybody else riding any. And the first day I thought, this is, should be a sign unto me that, uh, 
that something is really and i realized immediately why no one else was riding them because this made the trail exponentially harder for me because the tires of my trike are small mm -hmm. and i'm in a recumbent position which immediately puts me in an advantage because i don't have gravity so jamie's tires my wife her tires are huge so one mm. little flick of the ankle gives her like three rotations for me two rotations on the pedals barely turn my tire one time <laughs> so she is riding and i am riding somewhere level with her butt because i'm way i'm way below her yeah. and i am pedaling like a man with his hair on fire just to keep up with her <laughs> and we had you know roughly 400 miles to travel that way and it was, you know, it was hell on earth. Wow. And then when we got to the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal towpath, that's when the Great Allegheny Passage feeds into the uh, um, Chesapeake and Ohio some, in West Virginia. Or I think it's it might do it in Maryland or – no, West Virginia. So anyway, uh, that's where the trail becomes dirt and rock. Mm. Oh, wow. So like a gravel road basically? Well, more like, like uh, a road that never existed. Like, <laughs> And I was pedaling through just god awful terrain and just struggling. I struggled the whole way through. I struggled I the whole way through. And bikers had whipped past me and you know, I'm eye level with their knees and they're looking down at me going, Hey buddy, you know, passing me. You so can it, do it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Finally when I got to Washington when we finished, we finished the trail of Washington DC. When I got to Washington DC I saw one man on track big guy and he uh, he passed me and i looked at him and we shared this little moment of commiseration <laughs> like yeah yeah i know what you just went through <laughs> i know so I, I assume that you segmented this this ride mm -hmm. is that a false assumption or is that correct or segmented it like what do you mean like, i mean you you didn't just go six months from start to finish on you know spending oh no we we did way. go all the way we did go all the way through yeah oh it wow was it. okay but it it didn't take us six months although it felt like it uh, <laughs> it was a it was a it took us longer though than anybody else on the trail uh i say i like to say that you know everybody else on the trail finished in probably normal time whereas it took jamie and i longer to finish the trail and takes most people to complete a phd <laughs> but uh, and most of the time that was because of me she could have gone a lot faster but she had to wait for her for her little brother on his little tricycle so <laughs> oh man well oh i'm sure like who, who ought did you i'm you know you're on a trail like that doing something like that i know you, you got to run into some characters oh yeah uh great people we met him from all over the nation. The trail receives about 1 million visitors every year. Really? And that was just on the off years. Now, after the pandemic happened, there was a worldwide bike shortage. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I did know that. The entire world had no bikes. Everybody wanted to get out and ride bikes. So we were mm -hmm. not un unusual in that. And a lot of them were riding the trail. I would estimate that during the pandemic, there, were, there weren't hardly any bikers in some spots and then on other spots there were plenty so i don't really know what the numbers were i've heard different accounts that it was higher during the pandemic and i've heard accounts that it was extremely low so i don't know but i do know that as of now this thing receives a lot of visitors so we met international people we mm -hmm. met people from every just about every state in the u.s including hawaii uh we met folks from everywhere and from all different walks i met hikers who were trying to quit smoking and trying to get their life back after their their girlfriend left them i met uh people who had just been lost you know lost their job and they just wanted to figure out what they were going to do with their life and they were walking it and i met uh, i met a guy he didn't make it into the book uh he was a ex-clergy and he was a a uh, a cutter they, they, they cut you know razor blade marks in themselves it's a i don't know what you call it self-mutilation uh, he was trying to recover from this because it had he'd been doing it in secret yeah. and uh, he was a beautiful guy wonderful man and i met recovering alcoholics i met 
I met some great folks and uh, we all kind of shared this one thing in common. We were all trying to get to the end and it was yeah. really uh, a great, a, a great, almost too easy metaphor for a book, you know? Yeah. You, you mentioned feelings of regret. You said, I, I've lived the majority of my life snug in the lap of strip malls. I was feeling a bit of regret. Like uh, you deprived yourself of basic human right of being outside. Can you talk about that some? Yeah. Uh, just this morning, I, I had a write, I had a writing gig that I was leaving, like I said, up in Talladega County. And as I was leaving Talladega this morning, I walked out of my hotel, checked out, and I looked in the lobby, and there was this big table full of guys in suits, and they were having this meeting. Uh, obviously, they were traveling businessmen of some sort, and there was a lot of energy around that table. There was a lot of high-energy conversations happening. There was a pecking order. There was a hierarchy going on. You could see it all right there in front of you. There was a boss. There were people who were climbing the ladder. And then I got out of the hotel and I was in the parking lot. And in Talladega, you can see the Appalachian Mountains. You're in the Appalachian Mountains, the very, very bottom portion of the Appalachians. And I looked at these swelling green hills all around me. And the two scenarios felt so entirely different to me. Mm-hmm. You got inside, you got these people who are doing what just about everybody does. We live around a society that is based on money. And that's really what it boils down to making money. Businesses want to make money. The employees want to make money so that they can have children, so they can send their children to good colleges, so their children can grow up to make money and they can do all that. And it's great. We got to do it. I get it. Okay. I, I'm not saying that we should all just live in double wives like uh, like I I did <laughs> but uh, when you get outside and you look at those hills you look at the mountains you find yourself surrounded by a green space money doesn't play into the picture at all there is no societal concern there is no hierarchy and pecking order it's just I need food I need water I need to make sure my body is in okay condition. Is my knee a little tight? Is my ankle hurting? What am I going to, am I going to make it to the end? It's about this, thisness, this now. And that's a really interesting perspective shift for me because as soon as you get back into the real world, you're assaulted with graphic t-shirts that have brands up on the, you know, on the fronts that, that are trying to sell you something even Although the person wearing it is not aware that they're trying to sell you something and you walk inside a gas station and there's a hundred billboards that are trying to get you to buy this, buy that. And you're drinking purple Mountain Dew and you're in your truck, which, you know, consuming gasoline. And it's just this artificial thing. And it's, I live in that world. Everybody does, Mm -hmm. but getting outside, it, it reacquaints you or reacquainted me with, uh, with life. And it was kind of like figuring out that you're a fish but for the last 45 years, someone's been trying to get you to climb a tree. And then all of a sudden you realize in this green space, oh my gosh, I can swim. Mm-hmm. I, I can do this. This is uh, kind of where maybe I was even meant to be. This is cool. And it, it reacquaints you with who you, who maybe you uh, forgot about when you were a kid. Wow. That was a really long answer. But it. let's all take a moment and reflect on how wise I sound. I think <laughs> can we pass an offering plate between the three of us? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, I, mean, I, I mean, when you were talking, it just made me think it's almost like we were created to be in a garden. Uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, there's a tree wow. in Genesis and there's a tree in Revelation. Mm. Each book, The whole book ends and starts with a tree. So That's when you right. get around a lot of trees, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You really grow to love these things. Why is that? Um, you know what your experience on this trail is. I feel like the the crux of this story. It, why is that important for people to know? Why Why is that important for you to share that? You know, I, mean, I like to write, and I feel like when I write things, I have a I have this desire to share 
whether it's a thought or an experience, whatever it is with other people, more than just the fact that, oh, I'm going to write a book and get the book out there. You know, it's, I want yeah. them to understand what I understand or, or, or experience what I experienced. Why is this story so important well, to, for other people? Well, because, uh, like I'd said about, uh, you know, the having a scare and not, not knowing what's, you know, not knowing how long we have left. Uh, this was incredibly special for Jamie and me to be together to be healthy enough to have fun to get into trouble to try to figure out what we're doing it was such a it was such a moment of my life that that was sharper and more vivid and more profound than normal moments that i wanted to remember it i wanted to document it so that we always had it so that we remembered it together her and i because one day we're going to be up in age and we're not going to be able to do things like this and in my job as a writer i've met a lot of people who have passed on and in their later experiences with life as they're coming close to the end like on a sick bed or even a deathbed nobody ever talks about how they wanted to be more of a success or how they wished uh, or how they wished they would have, you know, made more money or had that piece of furniture. It's always relationships. It always comes down to the relationships. They wish they would have done something with a loved one that they've mm. always wanted to do. Mm. And I suppose I just kind of want to remind myself that we did it. That was maybe one of the, one of the motivating factors of writing the book. I wrote it for my wife. Mm -hmm. She wanted to do this and I wanted her to have it. So that's great. After, uh, after listening to a handful of interviews, um, just trying to under get a better understanding of who you were. And, and even in this conversation, Sean, uh, there's a, what I feel like a, a genuine humility beyond um, beyond sort of a self-deprecation or a false humility that's sort of fishing for compliments. Um, where, where, what is the source of this humility for you? Oh, well, first uh, of all, I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's it's clear for me. Uh, I, I had a really rough, rough childhood. I, I uh, grew up believing I was beneath everybody else. Uh, today represents the, the 28th anniversary of my father's suicide and that's when life changed for me completely mm. and so for it's been you know almost three decades now uh, and i grew up you know kind of underprivileged i guess that term's thrown around a lot these days but in many ways i was uh, beneath my peers i dropped out of school when i was in seventh grade so that certainly helped because I felt beneath everybody else, you carry this with you. You go into a room full of people and you feel like you are beneath everyone in this room. You pick mm. anybody in that room, you are beneath them. Mm. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, it's taken me a long time to, to arrive at a space in my head where I believe that I'm not above anybody else but I'm also not beneath anybody else. We're all on the same line together. Uh, but that took a lot of mental work. Uh, that took a lot of, I have a good friend who's a, who I met at church a long time ago, who's been a, he's a family therapist and doctor. And I was never his patient, but he made me, like a son to him and I've done a lot of work on myself. I've practiced a lot of stuff to try to feel not confident because I don't think that I'll ever get that back. I'm not sure I ever was graced with much anyway, but, but it would be comfort, uh, comfort with myself, comfortable mm. you know, at ease in my own skin, uh, whatever I am, I am. And, uh, yeah. and, and to just be okay with that. 
I've been spending most of my life trying to be okay. So my humility, if that's what you call it, which God bless you, because my wife would probably, you know, tell you you're wrong, <laughs> uh, is just, you know, probably from a, probably not a good place, actually. You know, it's probably, it's probably not from a good place altogether. I, I wish I had more, more whatever you call it, more, you know, not pride, but more gusto in that area. So, mm. well, I'll speak to this and say it may not have come from a good place, but it is refreshing to to see someone who's not full of themselves. And, well, I appreciate and, that. But you are. I mean, I enjoyed your music and your stories, and you're you know, you are gifted, and but you, you don't carry yourself in that way, and that is refreshing, and that. Though it didn't come from a great place, it is a great attribute of who you are. And a lot of who we are is forged from things that weren't great. Um, you know, I can look back yep. and reflect on my own life and, and the experiences I've had that weren't great experiences, but the outcome of those experiences made me into a, a man that is is better for it. Yeah, right? no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, it, I would... Sometimes I wonder what I'd look like if my father would not have died the way he did and left us with some of the baggage he left us with. Uh, and I don't know that I like what I imagine. Mm. You know, mm. I like, I'm, I feel things pretty deeply when I see someone suffering. I feel it yeah. too deeply. Uh, it affects me really, really bad. Uh, and, but I'm not sure that I want to give that, give that up mm. because, uh, because there aren't many, speaking as somebody who has suffered, there aren't many people that I knew who were willing to feel suffering with you. They they were very content to give you something that eased their own conscience and to move on. Wow, uh, it's very it's very important to have somebody. Misery loves company, they say, and it's true. But when you are in misery, sometimes you need company, and mm. so uh, I wouldn't want to give that up. And a lot of what I do as a story is when I tell stories and stuff is to tell the story of somebody who I see who's not going through a wonderful time of their lives, and uh, I probably wouldn't even notice them had I not, you know, had I grown up a different way. Sure. And, and there's nothing wrong with not noticing, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, that, that other people who go through life in different ways that are wrong. Uh, I don't ever want to say that. I just happen to be tuned to just a little bit different of a frequency, probably sure. just like yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. It takes all kinds, man. And I'm thankful for you. Well, thank you. Sean, the, um, one of the things that we like to talk about on this podcast is, you know, experiences that God used to shape us. You know, we talked a lot about um, this bike ride being transformative. and uh, <laughs> That's number six, number the six. time it's been used, right? <laughs> yeah, we just turned this into a drinking game. <laughs> but, you know, um, was there a point on the trail where this light bulb went off and, and God was like, look at what you maybe have been missing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Definitely. And it's, it's when you are coming into Cumberland, Maryland, um, there is a spot. Now I rode this trail or we can't, let's see. Yeah. How do we do it? We came into, I can't remember which city we came into. That's my dog. Is that, Sel is that Selma? <laughs> yeah. Yes. She's, That's awesome. She's, I have no idea who's at the, at like somebody's in the street or something. She sees him. She, and I rode these trails around the time of my. Mm -hmm. you hear that? <laughs> She's still jealous that you didn't take her. <laughs> Very. I rode these trails around the time of my of my father's uh, of the anniversary of my father's death. Mm. Uh, when I, <laughs> it's hard. To, I'm sorry. Oh, don't apologize. I love it. We are. Is she ruining? No. Is she ruining your? No, we're, we're dog. No. We're dog people. So this is part it's of. It's all right. It's no okay. big deal. We, uh, when we finish, <laughs> finish the trail, the first one, uh, the gap, the great Allegheny, Allegheny passage, uh, 
I've got to shut the door. I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay, no problem. <laughs> I love it. This is so funny. I know, man. Fail my loose. She's on it, baby. Have you seen a picture of her? She is. Uh, she is beautiful. I saw her in one of his YouTube videos. Yeah. I think uh, it showed her, you know, him walking her in one of the videos. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a mailman away from Roscoe doing the same thing. He's just. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right, bro. Hey, I just I go. have a dog named Roscoe, and he's staring out the window right now, and. Uh, I, I'm you, one mailman or delivery man away from the same thing. UPS <laughs> is on the way. <laughs> Where was I? What was I talking about? I've forgotten now. You're talking about uh, coming into it was Cumberland. Or was it yeah, Cumberland? Cumberland. Yeah. So I rode. I rode these trails on the anniversary of my father's. I always do something. I always do something on my father's anniversary of this. And of this year is actually the exception. I mean, I'm probably going to do something after we're off the off the recording uh but i'm not real sure what that is yet but usually i do something kind of big for myself and we rode through this kind of wild part and it was an incredibly important day my wife knew it was incredibly incredibly important day for me and a short backstory before i tell you this uh the book i had written of about my father a memoir about my father with a circle being broken was about my life and throughout the book there are moments where my father is his memory becomes startlingly startlingly clear when a blue heron comes into my life now when a blue heron is present it seems like he's always present at some pivotal time it's amazing to me. I have seen Blue Heron at the Grand Canyon. I've seen Blue Heron on top of mountains. I've seen Blue Heron. The Blue Heron is the is the main bird you'll see in Florida around the Choctatchee Bay. Oh, yeah. And it is uh and these birds follow me around. They follow me everywhere. And I can't get away from them. And so we always said growing up that my daddy uh, resembled a heron because he was long-legged, very slender. Uh, so the fact that these birds show up is kind of serendipitous so we're on this trail we're in another state my wife and i and we're riding and it is the anniversary of his end and flying beside my trike is a blue heron come on and he comes straight forward and he turns and he gets in front of me and he lands on this log this this fallen tree that is at a big diagonal to the trail and he's perched atop this tree looking down at me as I roll past and then he jumps off the tree and flies ahead so he can get another look at me as I roll past well I was a mess mm. I mean it was uh, it was uh, extremely powerful and my wife even looked at me and she just because she knew we'd been through so many Ed, rounds of edits with that book and she'd read that and she she knew you know she uh, she's always known and that was a pretty ex- powerful experience and actually that that experience was probably so powerful that i'm not even sure that i wrote much about it in the book i think i included it but i'm not sure i included it in the book because i didn't want this book to be all dismal i wanted this book to be positive and happy um mm. but that kind of stuff you know mm. i believe that's a wink from the from the creator I mean, even just a few days ago on his, my dad's birthday, uh, he was September the 11th was his birthday. I took a canoe trip, short day trip with some friends down the Tallapoosa river, mm. just up, just up here. And, uh, we're halfway into the trip. And what do you think's flying beside my canoe? Mm-hmm. Blue Heron, his birthday. I mean, there's something weird about it. I don't see him any other day of the year. <laughs> in Alabama, at least. I mean, but that's cool, man. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. That's that's yeah. really that's that's you know. If, I feel like if we're looking, God's going to give us some comfort in in some, I agree some things that maybe other people don't even see it as. You know, I agree. I agree. Uh, my goal is to look more. <laughs> If, yeah. I, if I can remember to do it, that's good. 
I mean, both Brian and I are big believers in and that not happening as much sitting on the couch, but it happens a whole lot more when you get outside. That's got to be true. That has got to be true. Yeah. yeah. I love, uh, we, we earlier we referenced this podcast as a digital, sort of a digital campfire. If, uh, what's your, uh, and you know how you, you, you mentioned earlier about storytelling and the old timers having their, Hey, tell that, mm-hmm. Hey, tell that story. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. what's your, what's your, what's your go-to campfire story? Hmm. Well, I've got, I've got a bunch. How long we got? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're on your time, brother. <laughs> Uh, well, okay. Uh, the, the Grand Ole Opry was always a big deal in my life. And, uh, I grew up listening to it every Saturday night. Mm-hmm. The world is a very different place now. I know that doesn't even happen probably for kids to listen to the Grand Ole Opry. I'm sure they don't even listen to the radio. They stream stuff. And, but you know, there was this really fun communal sense of being mm-hmm. on the Grand Ole Opry, you know, listening to the Grand Ole Opry and kind of being there with everybody else listening the ground operating so i love many pearl many pearl was just the best and my father loved many pearl and he could tell all her good jokes and uh and she had some good ones too and so uh, we were living in tennessee and i was in kindergarten and uh my dad was working on the gm plant at the uh in spring hill so he was one of the foreman's i believe which was really a big step up for him because he was just a stick welder and uh, to be a foreman was huge and he he uh, he wore denim to work every day of his life and boots i mean he was he was like you know uh, the main character from a country song to me uh cowboy he was a cowboy so uh, to me uh, as a kid your dad's your hero so he came home one day covered in soot and said, how would you like to go to the Grand Ole Opry? I said, does a Pope go to the woods? And uh, (laughs) 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 give you a second to think about that. (laughs) And he said, uh, so I looked and I said, how how are we going to go? He said, well, I got, I got, I got the fix. I know someone who's going to get us in. So we drove across town to to get to the Opry, and I was so excited. And beforehand, we stopped and we got ice cream, and then we ate dinner. You know, not the other way around, which was just spectacular to to not eat ice cream after dinner, but before dinner. Wow, what a thought! And we get to the uh, to the place where the Opry is. It wasn't at the Rhyme, and it was at Opryland when I came along, and. Uh, the place is sold out. There are no tickets. He can't get in. He doesn't know anybody. And we are devastated. And uh, life has gone back to being dismal and bland. And uh, my life may never be the same again. I'm just miserable, you know. Uh, so we're about we're walking back through the hotel of the Opry just to get our money's worth and look around at this opulence all around us. And we see this man in this big tall powder blue suit with this gigantic 50 gallon hat and uh, he's got rhinestones all over him and my father walks up to him and he's like sir sir excuse me and this guy's on his on his way he's rushing somewhere i guess he's you know going to be on the opry the man turns around and my daddy says uh you know, this is this is my son. He'd really like, you know, he'd really like he'd really like to meet you. And the guy turns around, and it's Ernest Tubb, mm-hmm. who is who I learned three or four of his songs when I was learning how to play the guitar, like "Waltz Across Texas" and "Walking the Floor Over You." And uh, so I, we loved we loved Ernest Tubb, and it was Ernest Tubb. And he looks at me, and he had that he had a ruined voice. He said, "Well, nice to meet you, son." And my daddy hands him this slip of paper from somewhere and he says would you mind making an autograph out to my son his name's john which is my father's name and not my name (laughs) (laughs) and so ernest tubb makes this autograph out to my father uh, even though it's you know not to me and we keep walking we go out to the truck and we listen to the opry the opry's over it's a good show 
And we go back into the hotel to try to see what we can see. And down through the lobby comes this woman in this big hat with a price tag hanging off. And there are flowers hanging on her hat. And she's got this crowd of people around her. And we're standing there. And she zeroes in on us. And she comes over. And she hugs my father and gives him a big old kiss on his cheek. And she leaves this lipstick print on his cheek. (laughs) And then she gets, you know, she, she talks to me. And we are just, I mean, I'm over the moon. And we get back out to the truck. And my father looks at me and he says, if you tell your mother about this, I'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And that was probably one of my greatest uh, memories of the Opry. You know, I've gone other times, but seeing Minnie Pearl like that, kiss my father, it was was a good one. That was a good one. Did you ever tell your mom about that? I have in live settings. (laughs) (laughs) Not that day. <laughs> Not yeah, that exactly. Day. Not that day. Oh, that's funny. Sean, this has been such a great conversation. The question that we like to close on every time we have a guest is, uh, what is your next adventure? Hmm. Boy, that is a good, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I would nope. like to hike a, a piece of the Appalachian Trail. Yeah with with my wife we were gonna do it uh actually in a few days because i someone had invited me up to write about a bluegrass festival in bristol bristol virginia and i was gonna write about it and then we were gonna go hike and uh and things got in the way we weren't able to do it but i would like to somehow spend a little bit of time on the appalachian trail uh just to say that i did it mm-hmm so who knows maybe i'll be able to fit that in that sounds like a good one yeah that's great where uh sean where can people find out about uh about your book and about your music and what's the best place to send them to i'm the worst person to ask about stuff like this because i'm not a salesman <laughs> and uh and I, and I feel really ridiculous telling people about it so i say just google my name and you get what you get, and I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I tell you what, we've uh, we've already done some of that for you. We'll have so in our show notes, we'll have links to Amazon where they can buy your book. And uh, okay, that's good. And uh, links to all your social medias and all of those things. So that's we'll make good. sure that they connect with you, man. We thank you so much for taking time to join us. And, oh uh, man, thank you for having me. I can't believe you even want me. I'm appreciative. This is nice. Yeah, man. It was uh, right. Y'all are right. easy to talk to too. You're, you're our people, man. You're hey, our people. Hey, I think we're all probably in, in cut from the same cloth. I can That's tell. It. I just yeah. wish I had the the strong red beard like you guys. I'm sitting over here, baby face, in the middle of these two. Uh, That's Vikings. right. We look we look kind of like brothers. But I was just know every time I'd be talking, I'd look at your names on the screen and say Brad Hill, Brian Gill, and I didn't notice that I kept getting you confused. I'd see, I'd see B R A or B R and I-L-L at the end. I mean, y'all have names that are very similar. Yeah. Yeah. We do. We, we almost went with the Gill and Hill podcast, but we decided against it. So <laughs> <laughs> That would have been good. But, yeah. Pretty catchy. But, uh, man, we uh, – gosh, just been some good stuff uh, just to think about and to share. Thanks for sharing your heart and being uh, – you know, like we oh, said, well, you know, I know you, you didn't, probably didn't – no one loves to hear someone say – you know how humble you are and that's just weird but i do appreciate uh the way you carry yourself and uh the way you share your art and um, the way you care about story and and so we're we're really thankful and we hope you know we hope that inspires people ultimately that's our goal here and like we shared earlier is that this is uh, a way for us to get stories like many pearl stories down or your bike story and your book, those are things that we hope inspire people to do the very same thing. And that's write down their experiences and write down what they learned and reflect on those experiences and those people that they met and how they've changed or they've transformed. And we drink something because we said transformed eight times now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, man, what a a great uh, conversation and um, we hope this does that inspires people to share their own stories, um, write them down and have some adventures in what we call the storied outdoors. That's so good. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take some time to leave us a review. Or better yet, share it with a friend. We hope these stories encourage you. Encourage you to write your own stories and share your own adventures in the storied outdoors. Brad Hill here. There is no better way to share a story than around a campfire. And if you are in the Mobile Bay area, there is no better place to get firewood than our friends at Mobile Bay Firewood. This is a family-owned business, and I personally love using their easy-to-light, kiln-dried firewood in my fire pit. So use promo code MBFTSO for $15 off of your next order at mobilebayfirewood.com. Longtime friends of the podcast, the Growley Leather Company is a family-owned leather goods company in southern Alabama. All of their leather goods are designed and handcrafted to come alongside you in your daily life, share in your adventures, and reflect your character. Brian and I both enjoy products from Growley Leather. So visit GrowleyLeather.com and use promo code TSO2022 for a 15% discount at checkout. Find you a leather journal and fill it with stories from the storied outdoors.